Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. We yes. are going to be wrapping up the Book of Numbers today. Uh, I'm, so I'm yeah. really excited to be ending numbers. Not because like I'm exhausted by numbers, but I just like putting a bow on something. Yeah, it does feel good to finally like get through something. That's always a good feeling. Our fourth book of the Bible will be completed. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of neat. I like that. Uh, and so last week, um, I felt like it was a really important episode. We talked about yeah. Holy War. Um, it's like the first command we come across in the Torah where we see, um, God through Moses, uh, specifically commanding the, uh, death of young children and, um, even women. And so if that's something that like every other person I've ever met, you've struggled with, I would encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode on numbers 31. Yeah. Um, it was, I, I, I found it really helpful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I went back and listened to it and kind of got even more from it than whenever I was we were doing it live. So you were edified by your own words. Or I think they were mainly <laughs> your words that I was edified by. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, and so anyway, uh, we're going to be wrapping up with uh, numbers 32 through 36 because this section is all about kind of final preparations for entering the promised land. Right. So, you could, you sh- should read the book of Deuteronomy as like... Numbers? Uh, uh, no, De- Deuteronomy. Oh, next, you meant yeah, the, you meant the next, the next the one. Ne- the next book is like it's Moses's final speech mm-hmm. as they're walking in. So I kind of always imagine the book of Deuteronomy like there's this huge crowd of people. Moses has a microphone. He's shouting to the masses, and then they're about to take the land right after he finishes speaking. So like when you get to the end of Numbers, you should think everything is set. There's nothing left for them to do. No plans left to make. No laws left to institute. Mm. They can just walk into land after the end of the book of Numbers. It's kind of the way. Yeah, it's set up for you. I think I another think, way to look at it. I think another way to look at it is because the book of Numbers just kind of ends weirdly, where it's like the daughters of Zelophehad are like talking about land ownership rights and marital law, and then it's just over. Um, and I think we're supposed to realize that this is kind of the middle of a narrative that is hmm. then picked up in Deuteronomy one where Moses gives uh, kind of finishes this speech and finishes these laws and ordinances mm. about entering the land. Cause Deuteronomy is all about entering the land. Right. And so I think 
we're supposed to like that's why it feels like numbers doesn't really land the narrative plane because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's still kind of in its descent whenever we get into Deuteronomy. And so it's supposed this book's really supposed to hold our hand into the book of Deuteronomy. At least that's kind of how I see it. No, that's helpful. Yeah, it's like all the things everything, all the kind of like niggly bits that might be like walking <laughs> off. <laughs> Is that not a phrase? I don't know. Niggly bits from your Scottish heritage. It might be. I mean, I've never heard that before. It's just all these like little loose ends in your mind. (laughs) David's just losing it right now. Oh, it's good. Uh, Like there's just like loose ends. Like, well, what about this law? Like, what happens if that happens? And like, well, what about Gad and all these people who need all this livestock land? Like, like what happened? Like any loose ends that you might have in your mind as you've been reading or you are a Hebrew person living during that time or being summed up here. And then the rest of the story gets picked up in Deuteronomy. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so that's kind of where we are. Um, you can kind of remember, remember broadly where we've been. Um, the they set out the people of Israel set out from Sinai to enter the promised land. The older generation refused to go in out of fear and lack of faith. And so they were punished. God said that um, they would all the older generation would die in the wilderness. And so they traveled around for 40 years until all the Israelites um, died uh, because of more disobedience and more lack of faith. And now we've met the younger generation and we've had Balaam prophesy over them that they are still blessed despite all they've done to be cursed. And the younger generation is proving themselves as more faithful. And now we're going to try this again. We're going to go back to the promised land, see if we can enter in. And that's where we'll get kind of after the book of Deuteronomy in the book of Joshua. So this is where we are. And so Um, far in the story, these guys look like they should have the right to walk into the new Eden. Like they've been obeying, they're zealous for God's commands, they're zealous for his law, they're completing his law. And then we kind of have in chapter 32... What Moses thinks is a threat to that within the new generation. Yeah. Okay. So, before you dive into that, yeah, yeah. unpack unpack two words you just said for me. What were my uh, words? The new Eden. The new Eden. So we've talked about a couple different times how the land of Canaan is supposed to be where uh, the Garden of Eden will be rebuilt, where God's people live with God forever in perfect harmony, and we're waiting for the people that can live with God perfectly. And so we've had different failures for different reasons. And we're hoping that now as the nation of Israel gets its own land, God will come and live with his people once again, like he did in the garden of Eden. Up to this point, this is the closest thing we might get to the fulfillment of Genesis 3.15, where the seed of Eve, the nation of Israel, defeats Mm -hmm. the seed of the serpent, the Canaanites in the land. So we're hoping Mm -hmm. that once they take over, God will come back like he did in the garden of Eden. That's, that's really good. A, that's kind of and the hope. I, that's really good. I, that's a, a, a helpful extra little bit of um, gospel prophecy that we didn't even pick up in the Holy War episode last week about how take the conquest of the Canaanites is a fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. That right. you have literally, if you trace them through Genesis, this is the seed of Eve, the nation of Israel. And if you trace the seed of the serpent through Genesis, you get the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all these other ites, and they are the ones that are living in Canaan. And here we go. Will the seed of Eve crush the seed of the serpent? This We're, we're thrown back into the tension of the fall and the garden. That's a really yes. cool way to think. see this. Okay, so now go, go where you were going with, with Numbers 32. So there seems to be a first threat to this new generation being the promised people of God. So Gad... Reuben and half of the tribe of Manasseh come to Moses 
right as they're about to cross over the Jordan River and, sit and kind of look at the land. They say, we've got a lot of livestock, a lot of sheep, a lot of cattle, and this land is really perfect for our needs. Moses, can we stay here and not go with you into the promised land? Moses freaks out because this is the, exactly the same thing, at least he sees it, as what happened back in uh, the beginning of Numbers where, or yeah, beginning of Numbers where Israel refuses to go into the promised land because they're too scared. Yeah. Because they don't, tr- because the, everything's going on in the land. Yeah. They respond by essentially saying, well, no, 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 we will go into the land and we'll even be the frontline soldiers with you, but we want to stay here. And what's, and then Moses says, that's a great, that's a great plan. That works yep. for me. And essentially what you, sh- I, when I read that the first couple of times, I was like, well, I thought God promised them the land of Canaan, not the land mm. outside of Canaan. Yeah, right. But what I remembered was in Genesis 15, God kind of sets up these four parameters, like you, like from the Euphrates to this other river. And from the oh, like the border, south, the border of like okay. the whole nation, and the land, uh, the land on either side of the Jordan River is within the parameters that oh. God gives in Genesis 15. So they're so, still inside the New Eden. So they're still inside the New Eden, just not in the land of Canaan. That's cool. So, so there you go. So that's what ended up happening. And Moses, they're not disobedient. That's kind of the whole point of chapter 32 mm-hmm. is that there's a place provided for the livestock, the people of Gad, the people of Reuben, and they're still being obedient to the Lord. That's cool. I love the picture too. If we want to think, I mean, think about that, like what, what these people are doing. They are willing to go and fight a fight for a land that they're not going to possess because the land that they're talking about has already been conquered. They, you know, they're talking about um, some land that was conquered, I think, with the king of Sihon or something. It was conquered earlier in Numbers. Right. And so this land's already been conquered. It's already Israel's. Um, there's no more wars to be done. Like, they, it's move-in ready, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and now they're saying, no, you know what? We're willing to go fight a fight that, quote-unquote, isn't ours in order to win a victory for someone else. Yeah, for our like, like for our people collectively. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and like what a picture of the gospel! Like Jesus mm-hmm. goes and fights a battle for us, even though his territory was was moving ready. Like he was right, at the right, right hand right. of God already, and yet he came into a land that he didn't have to go into, you know, into Earth, and he fought a fight that necessarily wasn't his, and and then he won a victory for us uh for the collective people of his body um so that we can enter into a final land with him i just think that's a cool little picture of the gospel it is yeah and really after that we get this long extended travel log yes. so chapter 33 is just a very long list of the places that Israel went while they were in the, the wilderness for 40 mm-hmm. years so yep. you can go back and you can read uh exodus and the early parts of numbers and all these places line up with the rest of the narrative. It's just the places that they went with very right. little narrative detail. And why, 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 why would that be here at the end of numbers? Like before they enter the promised land, what is the narrative force behind this? Like, have you given any thought to that? I have, and I had a really hard time coming up with an answer. I was like, well, one, it could show that, okay, they it's like historically accurate. You can go visit these cities and know oh, sure. that yep. the people of Israel were actually in those places. It also probably would serve like the new and future generations. Like these are the places that your parents rested and stayed because they were in the wilderness. But beyond that, I had a hard time figuring out like why I know yeah. there's some ancient Near East parallels to this. 
They're yeah. like so like this is like uh the same it's a type way, of like, it's a type of literature. A type of literature. Time. So like we have travelogues, we watch Anthony Bourdain or whoever on <laughs> it's like he's right. just, he's just going from place to place to place. Yeah. Uh but um I, I couldn't think of a reason beyond that. I know some of the some of the commentaries I read, they talk and I think it makes sense. They talked about how there there's two things being accomplished here because uh you can kind of walk through like yes, like you said there's not a lot of narrative given from place to place. It just kind of lists this city and that city and this city and that city. But if you look at the places where Moses slows down and gives a shred of narrative detail, you notice two things. So on the one hand, you'll notice that Moses is reminding them of God's faithfulness, that God was faithful whenever we fought this king or that king and brought you victory. And remember, no one died. And isn't that amazing? Like how faithful right. God has been won't he then be faithful to us when we go into the promised land? Okay. He's like strengthening their faith before they go into the place where their, their ancestors lost faith. You know, okay. like I he doesn't, he, he doesn't want them to repeat the mistakes of the past. Well, it begins with uh, on the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all Egyptians. Like it begins yes. with God's faithful provision of right. rescue yeah. with the old Testament gospel story. Like the Exodus story is the gospel of the old Testament. And so he's saying, if you, if I can just repeat to you God's past faithfulness, that will create in you the faith necessary to walk into the plans God has for you. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's very similar to us today, right? That like, yeah. how do we have what it takes to live the life um, that Jesus asks us to live? It's not by like trying really hard. It's by remembering the gospel, by looking back at his path fa- past faithfulness. So we might be faithful today. So that's what he's doing on the one hand. The other hand, there's also times where Moses slows down narratively and focuses on warnings. Like when he would look at God's punishment that happened here or there at these different places. And some of the camps okay. and places that he names are specific places where things went really bad. And so you can kind of see him rehearsing the warnings about mm. a lack of faithfulness, a lack of right. trust where it's like, now God's been faithful in the past. So he'll be faithful to bring you in. But remember you've been faithless in the past. Don't be faithless in the future because God's punishment is there too. So there's blessing and curse life. And, and death. Even, and that's even seen in those first four, three, ver- two verses where it says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt on the day of Passover, and I uh, judged their gods. Verse yep. four: On their gods also the Lord executed judgment. Totally, so like it's like there's a preface that says blessing, curse, and then mm-hmm. the little narrative details throughout it kind of highlight those same two things: blessing and curse, blessing and curse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and so like I said, I think, um, and I know I, I've thought about this before. Um, I don't know if you and I have processed this, um, but about like proper and improper motivations for the Christian life. So like, so I think we would definitely agree that a proper motivation for the Christian life is looking back on God's past faithfulness and being like, okay, like let's, the more I meditate on the gospel, the more I understand the depths of the debt that Jesus has paid for me, the more I will then go and forgive others and like not hold other people's debts against them. That's a very common Jesus teaching, you know? Uh, but what about the other half of this? Like, is fear of judgment a a correct and right and holy motivation for faithfulness to God? Because here, well, you know, it's like yeah. I, I've heard Tim Keller talk about this as like, and his answer was like, "Why wouldn't you want as many motivations as possible?" <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, I've heard him say the same thing. I think, and I think, I mean, who who disagrees with Tim Keller? Besides, a lot plenty of people, of people I'm but sure. I, yeah. <laughs> But uh, I would, I, I think I would agree. Just, 
I want as many motivations to obey Jesus as possible. And clearly this new Israel, the one that might potentially come into the new Eden, also is looking for as many reasons as possible. Like they don't seem to be afraid of God's judgment as a motivation for right action. Right. And yep. even Jesus, like he'll say both both sides, both sides of the coin. Remember, he will he won't necessarily say remember what I've done, but he'll talk about the future reward, right. but also future punishment. Like mm-hmm. it's like often enough as a reason to follow him. So I think it's definitely a legitimate way to motivate us right he's like yeah you can think of some of the parables he told towards the end of matthew where he's like be ready because like there's this wedding feast coming and if you're ready you get to enter in and have a good feast that's a good motivation right but if you're not ready you're going to be stuck outside with this weeping and gnashing of teeth which is also a good motivation and so yeah anyway i think that's kind of what's going on here is moses is reminding him of their past showing them that there is both blessing and curse reward and punishment and to be motivated accordingly to be faithful and to trust uh, that God will do what he promised them to do. So they're to go in, they're to drive out all the inhabitants. And we get one interesting warning here that I, I just wanted to pause and read. So after so, the travelogue, there's after the like travelogue, a, there's a little, little yeah. parenthetical or like uh, interlude between the next, yeah. part, like between like what well, comes next in 35, 34, 35 and 36 is basically just laws, like final laws. But in 33, at the very end, there's this, final kind of thing the lord says to his people yeah 51 speak to the people of israel and say to them when you pass over the jordan into the land of canaan then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places so and those are all this, all these things you're supposed to do for idol idols right. and but then in temples. 50, but then in 55 it says but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell and I will do to you as I thought to do to them have you ever had a barb in your eye I have not thank god <laughs> I was like man how often do like be I mean like I get like little pieces of like hair stuck in my eye yeah, you know worse. like and it's terrible. Yeah. So I'm just imagining it. Anyway, it was just a, it's such a vivid image, a barb yeah. in your eye, a thorn in your side. Right. Anyway. I've also never, I've never looked into whether there's theories out there if Paul is quoting. I this. have heard those theories. Have you? Okay, it's, I've it's, not. It's, okay. Well, essentially people, because so, some people say Paul's thorn in the flesh was a type of illness or a sickness or maybe even like depression or something like that. Yeah. Some people will point to this and say, actually, it might have been some sort of persecution yeah. Like like consistent persecution from one sect or one people or like a particular person who kept following him and like nagging him, persecuting right. him, making his life difficult. So I've heard that before. And I well, mean, yeah, we're referring to it whenever Paul says, uh, I've got this thorn in my flesh. But I've asked anyway. the Lord to let go and he, yeah. he hasn't. And so anyway, by random, context, it could random be. Thought. You know, random <laughs> okay. thought. Anyway, so I think it's just an interesting warning here that ends up uh, coming true that Israel doesn't totally drive out the inhabitants of the land. We, You can look at that in Psalm 106, 34, that it didn't come true. Uh, they did not thoroughly drive out everybody. And those that were left uh, led Israel astray into constant idolatry. You'll read about that in, in the history books um, of the Old Testament, about how yeah. kings were led astray by different, uh, different leaders of other nations. So right here, then, you have this kind of like foreboding. It's like, so far, it's been really positive and really exciting 
maybe this is the new Israel. Maybe they're going really going to ha- be in the new Eden. Maybe God's presence is going to fall. And God's last words to them is drive them out. But if not, mm-hmm. I will drive you out. Like, right. it's like, whoa, everything's been going so well. Like it's, it seems like shocking and jarring and that, that, that it should, it should feel that way because God's people, if they disobey, will be exiled from the land. Um, and that's what happens as you were just saying. Yeah. 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 So the, the people are exiled from the land. Um, and like, this is an, an interesting, it's a really important theme of, of scripture, the idea of exile. It's like, why is this land so important and why would they be exiled from it? What's the big deal with coming into it? And I think it all goes back to how you set it up earlier, Seth, with like the idea of this is the new Eden. And that if God allows evil to dwell in this place, Eden will never come. And so whether it is someone from the seed of the serpent who's dwelling in it, who must be driven out by the seed of Eve, or whether it's the seed of Eve herself who is causing evil in the land, he will drive it out. And we see that in Deuteronomy, he's going to say that he's going to even let the land just lay fallow. He'd rather it be empty because in emptiness, if there's no sin in it, it can heal. And like, yeah. and so it's just, it gives us this, this, I guess, spiritual and almost ritualistic view of the land of Eden that um, helps us, like, yeah, it helps us see like the, the it, it just, it reminds me of Leviticus where it's like yeah. sinfulness can't dwell within the tabernacle. It needs to be pure. Yeah. And so it's like, it's almost like all of Eden is like, yeah, and remember yeah, how they're supposed to drive. Like, how a, is a war supposed to be waged? They take the Ark of the Covenant and place it at the head of the battle. Oh, right. And God's presence moves forward. And so I think it's helpful to think of this less at, of a, a physical battle, although it is that, right. but more of a spiritual battle. Like, we, they are trying to bring the kingdom of heaven further, like further forward. And so I, I have a pretty strong category in my mind that in heaven, there's no bad thing. Like yes. the place where God lives, nothing bad can exist. And if I, that's true of my, like I have a weird, like modern, strange view of heaven sometimes. But like I even now have this idea that heaven is completely perfect with no bad thing. Yeah. And I do know that if anything bad, nothing bad can go there. And if something bad does go there, it gets sent out. Right. So what Israel's doing, it's bringing heaven further forward. And if it allows bad things to remain the land, they are going to violate what the presence of God and the kingdom of God actually is. And God's mm-hmm. kingdom will leave and right. they'll be kicked out for not enforcing the rules of God's kingdom. Right. And so this does, I, I'm so glad you went to heaven because that's where I was wanting to go. And it's like, there's such a, this, this, this picture of conquest is supposed to give us a picture of the, um the end of time when Jesus will come and drive out evil from the world and yeah and like the, the the new heavens and new earth will have no bad thing in them and that's really good news like yeah how do we get the good news of there will be no more tears no more pain you know all this stuff like god heard a really good line about that phrase no more mm-hmm. tears i was because like no more sad tears oh right that sounds great but like i cry when i'm happy like tears are like a natural response and he said like well if the Lord, I think maybe what he's saying is uh, the Lord is going to give you a new way to relate to reality so much so that tears are no longer needed oh, to wow. like, express your emotion. I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, that is beautiful. <laughs> it's like, cool. I was like, oh, it's like whole, like, you know how like you can only see certain wavelengths of light. Oh like, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. 
like one day we'll be able to feel in different wavelengths like mm. so much so that we like the way that our bodies respond to emotion now will feel totally different and totally mm. alien That's anyway cool. i i love that image of like god's right. remake my whole self my emotional yeah. self my physical self right. the world and, itself yeah, and for that <laughs> and for that to take place like there needs to be a driving out of evil because yes. if, it, if it wasn't, then heaven would be full of barbs and thorns, you know, and like, that's not yeah. what heaven's supposed to be like. So we're, what we get in this small version of the new Eden will come fully when Jesus returns, uh, when he like drives out all evil and brings us in. And like, we're, the fact that we're not driven out is not because as Christians is not because we're not evil or, <laughs> you know, like we're, because we're perfect. Right. It's because by putting our faith in Jesus, just as they were putting their faith in God to bring them into the promised land, we're putting our faith in Jesus to bring us into the final promised land. It's yeah. that faith in Jesus that connects us to him in such a way that he will remake us into yeah. perfect And our beings. responsibility is the same as the people of Israel here. The mm. people of Israel were supposed to move forward, bring God's kingdom forward, and to expel evil from the land. We too, as Christians, have the same responsibility. We are supposed to bring God's kingdom into the world, not just in ourself by banishing sin, evil thoughts, evil intentions, mm. um, you know, sin, like and sinful actions, but also bring God's reign and God's peace and banish evil where we see it in our spheres of influence. Like if we're not doing that as Christians now, we're actually not obeying the command of Numbers thirty-three to like bring God's kingdom forward. Eventually, at the end of the day, we know that it is. As much as it is a physical thing, it is a spiritual reality, but it's yeah. also a physical reality. So like yeah. this holy war is both spiritual and physical. It's being fought on two planes. And so too, us now, it's both spiritual and physical. And eventually God is going to be the one who brings his kingdom perfect, fully, and finally. Okay, so we're in the last section of the book of Numbers, and essentially, it's kind of the final niggly bits, the final, <laughs> <My favorite laughs> word, it's the final loose ends that need to be talked through before they enter the land. So what are the official borders of the new Eden in the land of Canaan? Who are the chieftains in the new Eden? There is an issue of justice in the land, so like a final like provision for a court system, and then finally about... In, laws of inheritance and who gets the land so these are like four kind of like loose ends within scripture that we don't quite have an answer for yet that are getting an answer now so yeah, verse 34 I, oh yeah what were we gonna say I, I was gonna say i think one major note to make about all four of these topics is that they are very presumptive that they will take the land like they're already dividing it up. They're already right. assigning who's going to live where. They're already saying who's over that land. And well, when I have that land and I don't get married, how do I know I'll have land in the land that we don't have yeah, yet? Yeah. And like if there are chickens to be counted before they're hatched, they are being counted now. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and which is the opposite of what happened in Numbers 13. Like they right. they they That's looked into right. their future and they just saw death and destruction and you know, grapes that were yeah. not hanging off of big sticks. We talked <laughs> normal size grapes. Normal size a grapes. lot of them. Like a lot of grapes, <laughs> not basketballs. <laughs> anyway, and here it's like they're they're like, we will definitely enter the land. In fact, I know that so much that we are dividing it up now. And it's like, I do that, you know, like I feel like but we're doing it. that right now at Spoken Gospel. We're like, we're looking at 
uh, a new office space, and and we're we're already like we haven't even right. gotten a lease written yet. But you're already, already deciding who gets to live where. Oh yeah, and this we're is and my like, office. And, I'm gonna put yeah. a bookshelf over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like what are we gonna put on that wall? And like oh, I want it colored like this. And we're already doing that yeah. because we're just so sure we're gonna get it. Right. And just like Israel, there's a sense like you got like Israel, God has been faithful to them in the past over and over and over again. And based on God's past grace to them, they can look forward and say, God will continue to be gracious and merciful mm-hmm. to us as well. And they're actually making plans based on God's future grace, which he hasn't done yet, but that's still good. Like God's future. We talked about like negative things, like yep. consequences being a motivation for good behavior. Future blessings from God are also a reason to motivate yep. Yeah. Behavior as well. Uh, yeah. John Piper wrote a whole long book on that called Future Grace. Well, there you go. And so, it was really good. I haven't read that one. Yep. Anyway. So, anyway. Uh, so the boundaries of the of the promised land are the first thing that we talked about, right? Yes. And I don't have a lot to say about it except they're going to live within these borders. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess, like, I mean, I mean, this is definitely supposed to remind us of Eden, right? He's doubling down mm-hmm. on that that picture. So we're not just grabbing that out of nowhere like there's there's like echoes of the eden narrative here that this is new creation they're talking about the borders of the land all this stuff um and then uh there's also like with the borders it's talking about it's a it's a it's a justice issue too because it's like you know we we want to live within it within what god has given us not taking what isn't ours you know because we mm. see that through the travel log yeah. it's like oh can we just go through edom well no you can't because even though they're not the final promised people of god i did make promises to them because of esau and so you can't go there so there's like there's like god is carving out a niche for israel but it doesn't mean he doesn't care about every other nation he's mm. like protecting yeah. other nations from israel by marking their boundaries and saying this is what i've given you you know no more no less that kind of thing so that's an interesting thing to think about yeah and then that land will be parceled up among the nine and a half tribes that are left in the nation of israel and it Mm -hmm. lists for you the tribal leaders the chieftains the leaders the elders of each individual land and then it's chosen by lot uh which i've always I always think of just like as a pair of dice. And I'm like, how do you make a decision about who gets which piece of land based on a pair of dice? And I always just skip over it <laughs> because I can't figure it out. Like this. So apparently like they would, um, all the people would come and then the tribe was, would get their land based on the Uman and Thuman the inside. Uman and the Thurman. The Thurman. <laughs> Isn't that, that, that's that, that machine the that makes the noise in uh, Star Wars? That I have no clue. It's like it's <laughs> there's a talking. musical instrument that's like based on oh, vibrations. I know what it's you're like talking as about you now. press your hands closer to it, it makes yeah. different sounds. I don't I think, think that's I don't think that's this. I no, it's not. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so, but yeah, like the lots. I mean, I I think it's closer to like names out of a hat. Got it. So who gets this land and who gets this land? Uh-huh. Yep. And it's based on also not just lots, but the size of the tribe. Right. So if mm-hmm. your, your tribe's a little bit larger, uh, you get a larger track of land. If your tribe's a little bit smaller, you get a smaller track of land. And that's kind yep. of... The, Which is interesting to think about with lots. You know, like the Bible talks about lots quite often, you know, where it's like, you, you know, man like cast his lots, but the Lord determines how they fall, you know? Right. And you see that like in the selection of the 12th 
uh, apostle after Judas kills himself yeah. at the beginning of yeah. Acts. And it's like, oh, it just so happened to be. No, it didn't. Like, God planned yeah, it. And so it's I was like, thinking about that. Like, ch- we th- we would call this chance. Chance, right. When you throw a roll of dice, that's, that's chance deciding. No. Nope. I, I was like, what kind of. I was like, what kind of faith would it take for me to make my next major life decision based on a dice roll? I think well, you would need to have a clear direction <laughs> from God that that's what he, how he wanted you to make that decision. Uh, but that's fair. I was like, I've never thought about maybe doing that. Maybe yeah, this is not, this is this is this is the different. This is how to read narrative. This is descriptive, <laughs> not prescriptive. Okay, and so we should not choose our church elders by lot. And neither mm. should we, anyway, neither should you choose, like, you don't just put what home you're going to live in, like, your house shopping, so you put I, them all in a hat and draw I try one. to, like, trick God and be like, okay, God, should I leave my family and go on a trip without telling them and just keep rolling the dice until I get, like, a one, which would be, you should go on the trip. That's not the way to play <laughs> that game. That's not the way to play this game. <laughs> okay, but it is a cool picture of God's sovereignty, because it's like, yes. you're going to choose it by lot, but then also, it they need to, each, each lot needs to fit the size of your tribe in it and so like how did the lots and the sizes match up god's sovereignty oh it's cool to think about anyway uh okay uh so before we move on i I just want to point out something that i think is cool here um so there's this picture uh that we should be getting of um how israel is moving into the land so all throughout the torah so far it has been Israel's journey back into the land of Eden, into the land of Israel, if you want to go ahead and call it that. Um, and they're going to go in there and there's borders around it. And the whole idea is getting inside those borders and staying in there. Uh, but then when we get to Acts, uh, we get a new travel log. We get a new conquest. And it's not from the ends of the earth into Judea and Samaria and then finally into Israel. It's from Israel, Jerusalem, mm-hmm. outside of Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And Got so it. the entire narrative geographical motion of the Torah is reversed in Acts 1. So it's like instead of everyone trying to get into Israel, Israel's trying to get out to everyone. And that's so, well, and so, cool. and the borders become irrelevant because God's kingdom is now borderless yeah. and it, it, and like, there's no, there's no line we can't cross with the good news of Jesus to take it out into the world. There's no geopo- geopolitical separation. There's no race separation, economical class separation. There are no borders in the kingdom of God. I just love that picture. Yeah. And I love too just thinking about some of the promises that Jesus makes about how like, we will rule in heaven. Like, don't you know that you'll rule angels? I'm like, what on right. earth? No, no I didn't know that. <laughs> I did not know that at all. Like, what do you mean by that? But like, it's funny, like right after the conquest narrative, you have this list of tribal leaders oh, and right. then you have the reverse conquest narrative and that we become kings and priests mm-hmm. and rulers of angels. So right. it's almost as if we become new chieftains, right. new tribal leaders of different outposts of God's kingdom. And those yeah. are what our elders are in the local church, right? right like, yes. Is that the parallel I should be drawing? Definitely. How I should be thinking about yep. it? Like, yep. we are all outposts of God's kingdom, all leaders, but we also have particular leaders of particular tribes called the elders of our churches. Yep. And that's what we're seeing here. Super cool. Cool. I love that. All right. So, uh, chapter 35, then we start talking about the cities for the Levites. So the Levites were not going to own any land in particular, but they were going to own cities within the land. So they're going to take over the land of Canaan. It has hundreds of cities, and the Levites are going to be given 48 
of those cities. Right. And, and the idea is that these Levites, because Israel's now separated from the temple by some great distance, these Levites act as God's representatives throughout the land. So they have little right. outposts and pockets where the Levites can teach on the Torah, remind people of God's law, represent them and their sacrifices, bring those sacrifices back to Jerusalem. And they live in these 48 cities scattered throughout the land. Right. Yeah. Cause you have the 12 tribes. And then if there's a big tribe, they give, they're supposed to give several of these 48 cities to the Levites. Right. And, and, and then if you have a small tribe, they're supposed to give a few, you know, of their cities to the Levites. And that is one to, you know, evenly parcel up the land. But two, if you've got a lot of tribes living in a particular like geographical region you, you want to be need close to a, to a levite yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so you need more of them to facilitate um all that all that area and so um but there's a cool distinctive about the cities of the levites that that are different from the other cities the cities of the levites the levites live inside the city but there are specific dimensions given about what goes around the city uh it's like you shall measure outside the city on the east side 2000 or 2000 cubits and all the way around 2000 cubits of land is supposed to be measured about a kilometer square oh okay that's helpful yeah yeah uh and all of that land is pasture land for the cities and um, that is oh. where all the sacrificial animals would graze okay. and be grown. And and so you have this picture of these this cubit land surrounding the Levites that have just sacrificial animals all around. So if you kind of it's supposed to be kind of this mini picture of the tabernacle uh, mm. located in all the different regions of Israel, because in the wilderness journey uh, that we've been reading about. Israel, if you remember, at the beginning of Numbers, was surrounded the tabernacle on the north, south, east, and west. But now now the Levites representing the tabernacle are surrounded by the sacrifices of the people on the north, south, east, and west. Fascinating. Yeah. And so it's just to be a picture of the fact that just because you're far from the tabernacle doesn't mean the tabernacle is far from you. God is still among Mm. you, and you must conduct yourselves as holy. I'd have to do some research on this, but I wonder if like Bethlehem was one of those like priestly cities mm. and if that's the case that means like jesus born not in the town of bethlehem but out in the field of bethlehem would have been born among all the sacrificial animals oh gosh I that'd know. be amazing i we need to look that up so, <laughs> i don't know if that's true let you look it up we promise to look that up for you spoken yeah. gospel listeners. We'll, we'll either put it in a future episode or in the description notes we'll look it up so anyway that's uh, pretty cool so that's what's happening but within yeah. those 48 cities there's six cities uh that are kind of set apart Three on the south of the Jordan and three in the north of the Jordan. Like some of the Transjordan area where Gad settles and then oh, right. another three where the rest of the tribe settle. And what these three cities are for, they're called cities of refuge. Yeah. And they're supposed to be places where people who are awaiting the outcome of a manslaughter case can run to and await trial without being executed by <laughs> an avenger of blood is the is the so an avenger of blood so the the scenario is this if you accidentally kill somebody you're swinging your axe flies off hit somebody in the head if you push a rock off a cliff and actually slaughter kill somebody b- below you you've killed somebody in God's land and throughout the Leviticus we're told life for life, tooth for tooth, like mm-hmm. blood for blood. So what happens when it's accidental? If it's like, if it's, if it's murder, we know that's wrong, but what happens if it's accidental? So what would normally happen is a close kinsman, like maybe the brother of the person that you just killed would come and kill you. 
a life for a life. And that's the way it worked. Like that's yep. justice being done. Um, and that sounds crazy <laughs> to me. Uh, but I, w- I went to Kenya one time uh, and as we were going to like this village that we were going to, we went a different way and we're like, why are we going a different way? And they told us that it's because, well, um, somebody had been killed on our other path. They had stolen a cow. And so they'd been stuffed into this ring of tires and then burned to death because, oh. because that's the way it worked. Like oh. that's the way justice was done in the, in yeah. the villages. And so it helped me that picture helped me here because what it did for me and what he said was what's what's really sad about this is that sometimes they catch the right guy but oftentimes mm. innocent people die and so what i loved hearing that story and this is a horrible story but after hearing that story and then reading this one this is god's plan for that never to happen like yeah if there's an accidental death mob justice doesn't rule like justice does and so the person who accidentally killed somebody can run to the city of refuge and await trial and is not um it will not be killed if he's innocent right so that's kind of what's happening here that's really helpful that's really helpful i i thought of a less grim example than the kenya (laughs) one i thought of aladdin being accused of like of like he like when he's like saving jasmine and she's like trying to give like an apple or something to a kid and then they're going to chop off her arm for stealing. It's like, that's definitely not eye for an eye. That's that, yeah. uh, it's a little over overkill. It's a little overkill. <laughs> yeah. Pardon the pun. But uh, anyway, uh, and, and, but then something else also happens with, um, with like how, so or do they have to live in this city forever? Like once, so, like once they've what's actually fascinating is that a life for a life still stands even when um, the person is innocent. Right. So, um, Either they have to live in the city until uh, they have to live in the city for the rest of their life. Essentially, if they've killed somebody. They have to live in that city for the rest of their life or until the high priest dies. And then once his life is substituted for his life, he's allowed to go free. Or right. if he's guilty, his life is taken by the person that the close. Yeah. If he just goes wandering killed. outside the city of refuge, even if he's innocent, the the avenger of blood is allowed to take revenge on him because he left his city of refuge. Right. And so yeah. the principle at work here is that death cannot enter into the land of life. If right. This new Eden is the land of life, like life with God. Death should have no place in it. Mm-hmm. And if you kill somebody, your life is forfeit right. and death is canceled out in a sense. Yep. But even if you kill somebody accidentally, death still reigns in the land. That's right. So how do you cancel out death when there's not necessarily any wrongdoing? Ex- like, there's not any like ill intent. Well, your life still has to be replaced by the high priest. Like the high mm-hmm. priest still has to atone, cover up, make one, make good the debt of death that was yeah. owed to the land. I mean, think about this picture. Like you have this whole nation of people and six cities of refuge, right? So there's just six places that people can go whenever they accidentally kill someone. And let's say a high priest has lived for 40 years, right? So just 40 years worth of people who have fleed to these cities are living in them. So let's just say there's hundreds and hundreds of people in each city of refuge. So, you know, you've got like a thousand people spread out and then the high priest dies and then all of these people get to return home to their families scot-free. Yeah. Like, they're free to go. They're right. been, they've been redeemed. Justice like, has been paid. Justice yeah. has been paid through the life of one 
person dying, the death of the high priest. Like, they could have exhausted justice themselves by dying, yep. or they could wait for the high priest to pay it for them. Yep. So there's not really much clearer picture of, <laughs> of Jesus than this. Yeah. If we've committed wrong, we have two choices. Yeah. We can either pay the penalty of our offense to God by dying ourselves, or we wait for the death of our high priest, Jesus. And when he dies, we get to continue living in his kingdom. Right. Like provided cool, that, yeah. provided that we are in his city of refuge, yes, provided that right. we like, we go into his city, trust his borders, trust his parameters. Don't break his law by going outside of his kingdom. We live once he dies. Yeah. And like, what a cool picture it is that the cities of refuge are a subset of the cities of the Levites. So around the cities of refuge would be these cubits of pasture land of sacrificial animals. And so like they're coming, like they would have to come through all these sacrificial animals and know like, okay, life for life, like Oh. I'm going to need sacrifice if I'm ever going to get out of here. Yeah. Even but as they would walk into it. Like, yes. they would, they would, did you know that it used to be that churches would have the cemeteries in front of the doors? Uh-huh. Because as you walk in through the, through death, you come up to the cross into new life. So and then cool. as you leave the church, you walk back into death, dying to yourself out into the world. I was like, that is beautiful. And it's, it's a good liturgy. It's a good liturgy. And it's actually, t- it's taken from passages like yeah, this. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and then also imagine them if they were like, you know what, forget this. I want to go see my family again. I'm going to get out of the city of refuge. They would have to pass through death, you know, these sacrificial animals and be like, yeah, I'm going to be like these, these sheep. If I leave, mm, you know, my life yeah, will be forfeit yeah. just as theirs is. Uh, but it's also a beautiful picture of whenever they aren't entering or leaving, but they're just dwelling inside that they are surrounded by propitiation. They're surrounded by sacrifice. They have a holy buffer of protection around them because yeah. there is payment being made around them. And like, that's who we, that's what we have in Christ. We live inside the city of refuge. We are surrounded mm-hmm. by uh, cubits and cubits, miles and miles, if you will, like, let me exacerbate it of sacrifice. Yeah. Like, it, it helps me to like, think about those phrases where it's like, we are in Christ. Yes. Like, what a like that's always a strange, like how do my inside of another person? Like, <laughs> like this is actually a really concrete, like we are in Christ's city of refuge yeah. and provide we stay within his walls. His death is our freedom. Okay, so chapter 36 is the last chapter of Numbers. It's a pretty short chapter, only 13 verses. And final it niggly bit. Final <laughs> you got to stop niggly bit. <laughs> gets me every time. Um, and it is these daughters of Zelophehad, which we've met before, right? Yeah, we uh, have. Yeah. Uh, 23? Is that what yeah, we saw last yeah, time? Uh, with the new generation stuff. And uh, what is the deal with them? What 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 are they bringing up? So what they're bringing up is the fact that they have been allowed to inherit land um, because their father had only daughters. Right. We talked about that already in a previous episode. But now the issue is, well, what happens if they marry somebody outside the tribe? If oh. they marry somebody outside their tribe, the husband of that tribe gains their land. Oh, I so, see. So, so all these evil, even parcels that they've divvied up between the tribes would slowly get eroded because right. people could intermarry between tribes and eventually they could, like one tribe could amass more land than the others simply by like smart marriage. That's <laughs> smart exactly marriage. right. 
And so what this chapter does say, no, that's not what gonna, what needs to happen. If you are, so there's this uh, parameter. If you are a woman who owns land uh, within a particular tribe, you need to marry within that tribe in order to keep your, in, in order to pr- protect the boundaries and the land allotments that God gave. My assumption is if they would want to marry outside the tribe, they still could, but they'd have to forfeit their right to the land. But mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not sure about that. Maybe a next can or something like that. That would make sense to me, but that's not mentioned. That's right. not mentioned here. As long as the land stays in the tribe, that's the chief concern because right. God wants there to be equity among his people that the tribes have an, an uh, not necessarily an even amount of land, but an equitable amount of land. Yeah. Right. Exactly right. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I I definitely know where I, like how I want to see Jesus in this text. But is there anything else you want to bring out of it before we go there? I mean, I think it's worth noting that in God's kingdom, there is an equity that it's expected, and mm. there are protections and laws against like the unlawful or the conniving, uh, conniving ways human hearts like try to gain more power for themselves. Yeah. Like built into this justice system, is way like is preventative measures against people's worst inclinations to to gain more power. So I just think that's interesting. I think that's that tells us a little bit about God's character. I I like that that this is part of the new Eden, the laws of the new Eden. Yeah. Yeah, and it's true. You talked about like he he's creating provisions that make sure the evil of man's heart doesn't just get to reign. Uh and I I'm like I'm like skimming back through this text and looking at this crazy hypothetical situation that the daughters of Zalafa had have contrived where it's like okay, but if like we marry someone from another tribe and then their inheritance is going to be taken. And then it, because there's this loophole in the year of Jubilee that they'll then be able to acquire the land. And it's like yes. they're, they're, they're piecing together this crazy legal document that would right. have to take place in order for this exchange to happen. And it did not take long for like the wickedness of man's heart to figure out a loophole. In, well, I don't think you have to read any ill intent into the daughters of Salafa. No, not, no not, the, not the daughters, but I think they just know that like right. people try this type of thing. Now that these laws have been instituted, wait a second, there's a loophole here. Because yeah, they're the just trying Jub- to protect themselves. The year of Jubilee only applies to leased land, but not inherited land. So if a new f- tribe gains my land, that means they keep the land. So what's happened to that situation? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. So yeah, it is amazing. And then that God is so concerned about creating an equitable society. I just think that's something that is often missed. Um, so the new heaven, what did I tell us about the new heaven and the new earth? Like yeah. you will have what you need period. Mm. Like it can't be taken from you. Wow. Nobody's going to like steal it out of your hand. Nobody can provide some like, you know, hire smart enough lawyers to, 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 to get it from you. Like you will have what you need always. Yeah. I love that. And I also think we should see here clearly that there is a time whenever we, uh, God has allowed a time for us to marry into some land. <laughs> like when we, as the bride of Christ, are married to Jesus, we inherit the whole earth and we inherit mm-hmm. what is his and everything is his. And he he calls us co-heirs with Christ. And so like um, this is this like. This is how he protects us and cares for us as his wife. Like I just think it's a cool way to, to think about like how they were concerned that land would be taken from them in marriage, and Jesus is concerned about giving his land to us whenever he marries us. Like, mm. I just yeah, um, that's how we that's how we inherit our eternal uh, dwelling is by 
um, marriage. We marry into it. Yeah. <laughs> kind of neat. Um, okay, man, that's numbers. That's the book of numbers. There it well is. done. If you stuck with us this long. So you're proud. Braver, you're braver than most. <laughs> um, this has been great. I've loved the book of numbers. Uh, I'll give a little plug here. Uh, we, uh, have launched a new podcast, um, that's very different. Spoken gospel has a, another podcast out now. That's we called, do? We do. It's called Jesus in all of the Bible. And it is short three to four minutes short. Ooh. So very different than what Seth and I do here on a weekly basis, three to four minutes on, um, a couple chapters of text. So kind of like the same parameters that me and me and Seth walk through, um, you know, a couple chapters at a time, but we, I do it in about three to four minutes. And, uh, so, uh, I wrote little devos for all the Torah. Seth has been writing some for, um, the gospels and Proverbs and Daniel and, uh, so all those written things I've been doing are going to be now a podcast as well. Right. Yeah. Audio oh. podcasts. And so those release every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, first thing in the morning. And so they're a great way to just like quickly listen. I listened to, uh, the one on, uh, the rainbow, the covenant with, with Noah and the rainbow. I listened to that this morning and, uh, I had it on double speed and it was over in a minute and a half. Like, <laughs> but I was, it was super cool anyway so i was like i really I'm, I'm pumped about it if you want to watch video versions of them those are on youtube now as well so amazing watch people teaching through these uh these different books as well uh there's reading plans on you version to walk you through these if you want to go to the bible app and uh get a get a reading plan uh keep engaging with scripture the more you do the more you'll see and uh you, you can never tire you should never tire of rehearsing the scriptures over yourself uh throughout all of scripture uh because as we've seen, this is, that's the fuel for our travel log. Uh, and so anyway, this has been, this has been numbers. Uh, we'll probably take a, uh, a break, not in, not in publishing episodes, but in what we're talking about, I think, um, I'm going to put up some episodes that me and another one of our devotional writers named Taylor Walling, yep. we had a series of conversations about Great three man. conversations where, um, I talked to him about how, gospel-centered uh, reading of scripture has changed his life. He talked to me about my journey and why why I started Spoken Gospel. And then we kind of did some like uh, testing and question asking about good and bad Jesus turns in the Old Testament. So that was a lot of fun. So we'll so do those fun. next. And then Seth and I will dive into Deuteronomy. So we hope Sounds to see great. you guys uh, in Deuteronomy. And until then, we hope you have a great week and a great time. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Gospel.com.